Well, this morning, um, I want to jump right into uh, the Bible passage we're looking at and look at this question that surfaces. Um, We've been looking through the Gospel of Mark. We are up to Mark chapter 10, and it starts off with this very challenging question. So uh, here's what it says here. It says, and he uh, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's that's where we're at this morning. Jesus is being pressed by the religious leaders to weigh in on a very controversial issue. When is divorce a viable option, biblically? Uh, And it's worth noting um, that the Pharisees aren't asking this question because they cared about what his answer was. They're, They're asking this question to test Jesus, it says. So they're looking for a way to take him down, this upstart rabbi who wasn't going by their uh, way of doing things, that, that had the, the, the public following him in droves. And so they're looking to take him down by asking him to take a side on a polarizing issue knowing that at least half of the people are not going to like his answer. And what they're hoping will happen is that uh, his, his approval ratings will start to tank. So, so that's what's behind this, because the, uh, the Pharisees didn't care. They didn't care about this issue of, of marriage and divorce. But, but Jesus, we're going to find out by the answer he gives, he does care about this. And, and many of us care about this as well. And so this, this question that they ask, is it lawful? Uh, the law that they're referring to is, is, is the authority of God's word, scripture. What does the Bible say about this subject matter? And, and that's what Jesus goes on to explain. And, and we're going to work through his answer this, this morning um, but I need to just let you know that uh, we need to proceed through issues like this with, with great amounts of care. Uh, this is a very delicate issue. And unlike the Pharisees, we aren't just talking about an issue in the abstract. Uh, this issue, uh, divorce, has likely affected every single person in this room in some way, whether it be direct or indirect. And, and there may be some here today who, who right now, or, or maybe at some point in a future time, are going to give this question some real serious consideration. And, and so what that means is that as Christ followers, we, we need to understand what Scripture says about it. And not only what it says, but what are the whys behind the what. Um, so we're going to do that. We, we do want to handle this issue with care because the tendency has been in, in many churches uh, to not handle this issue with care, to not show that sensitivity. Um, sometimes some churches will respond with, with blanket condemnation. Um, I'm sure it comes through this desire, this, this motive to uphold the sanctity of marriage in a culture that does not uphold that. And so with that, uh, sometimes it's seen as a very black or white issue, right? No matter what the reason, divorce equals failure. And divorced people, probably not on purpose, but they get consigned to like a second class status as a result of that. And 
And, and that's not what you're going to find here at this church, but I do recognize that um, that has happened and it does happen. And so we're going to be careful about the way that we unpack this. There's also kind of an opposite response as well. You know, the opposite of a condemnation would maybe be called like a, a very cavalier kind of reaction to this subject matter. That's probably more the trend of what you find in a lot of churches today um, out of a desire to say, you know, we don't want to judge, and so we choose to just love on people, right? And, and so things like this get said, it's your decision and so whatever you choose, just know that I'll be there for you. The problem with that is that truth gets turned off. Love gets turned on, truth gets turned off. And when love gets turned on and truth gets turned off, people end up with, with deep wounds that, that never get healed. They get a lot of sympathy, but they don't get healed. They, they get empathy um, without any kind of bandaging. And that ultimately is neither helpful nor loving. So one response might be truth without grace. The other would be grace without truth. And, and we are got, we're going to jump into this subject matter with both. Uh, Jesus came full of both grace and truth. He was able to speak truth unapologetically, but also to do so with great amounts of grace and compassion. And so that is... My heart's desire this morning as we wade into this subject matter, um, I, I recognize, because I've actually spoken on this before, I've spoken on controversial issues like this before, it's been a long time, but I know that just by talking about this, some people will um, feel like their lives are in the crosshairs. Um, and so I want to just address that up front. This, this is not a place where you are going to find condemnation. This is not a judgment zone. This is a judgment-free zone. And, and so um, any of us this morning may sense some Holy Spirit conviction. That's a good thing. If he does that, um, that's between you and him. It has nothing to do with me, and I'll just leave it to you. But if you feel condemnation, that is not, um, that is not the, the purpose or the goal. You know, um, the most common response that I've found is neither condemnation or a cavalier attitude. It's, it's more of just confusion. Like, many people just aren't quite sure what does the Bible say about this subject matter. And, and that's understandable because the biblical teaching is nuanced. Sometimes we have a hard time with nuance. It's not just one size fits all. Add to that, it's also challenging. It is guaranteed to challenge us. And so there's a lot to wade through. And, and we're going to do it this morning. We're going to listen to Jesus' caring answer to a very challenging question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? One final disclaimer before we jump in is just recognizing that in our culture today, any answer about the personal choices that we make, the way we choose to live out our lives, that doesn't end up with this quote, basically, it's up to you, right? That is the, that is the only answer our culture accepts. It is up to you. And that's not the answer we're going to hear this morning. 
And so that's going to challenge us. It's a reminder that these places that we put boundaries around and say, this is me, my zone, Jesus steps into them. He invades those places. There is no area that he doesn't care about when it comes to our lives, when it comes to the things that we go through that are outside of his authority. And so the simple point uh, that I want to make this morning is that uh, there is a Lord of the marriage rings. Um, it's not you. It's not me. It's God. Marriage is his idea, and that means that he remains today the leading authority on how it works, how to navigate different issues, and how to respond when things break down. So let's take a look at his answer, and we'll read it together, and then we'll, we'll jump back into it. It says, it, says, um, it says, he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right. Um, believe it or not, the, the prevailing mindset in Jesus' day when it came to marriage and divorce was not a whole lot different from the way it is today. Divorce back then was considered a viable option any time things weren't working out. And so Jesus answers the Pharisees' question with a question of his own. He, he asks, what did, what did Moses command? And, and that question um, takes us to the heart of the controversy. And you go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses wrote this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, He's to write her a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and send her from his house. That was Moses' command. And the controversy in Jesus' day was, what constitutes something indecent? That was the heart of the issue. Now, first century Israel was a very chauvinistic society. And in Jesus' day, they interpreted something indecent as just about anything. And so husbands were divorcing their wives because they didn't clean the house, because they burnt dinner, or because they just simply found someone else more pleasing to them. All those were seen as legitimate reasons to file divorce papers. And they cited this passage as their justification. Divorce is an easy out. It was chosen often. And the only thing that mattered is that you follow proper procedures. Just file the right paperwork and make sure she gets the news. You know, for very different reasons, that attitude in, is in our culture very much the same. Today, the justification often has to do with just the simple pursuit of happiness, right? And so we hear things like this. If you can't get along, if it's not working out, if you're not happy, then the obvious option is to part ways 
life is just too short to stay unhappy, right? I want to mention that statistics tell a very different story. Uh, There was a University of Chicago study, and they found that among unhappy couples who were married that then chose to divorce, okay, five years later, half of them described themselves as happy. Half of them did, half of them didn't. Of unhappy couples who stayed married, two-thirds of them, five years later, described themselves as happy. You see, getting out is less likely to be your ticket to happiness. Working through more often will be. And you know, there's a lot of couples who need to hear that message, who need to understand that. Because when things get tough in marriage, and let me assure you, there are no exceptions to the rule. They do get tough. It will happen. And when that point happens, it is so easy to come up with reasons and justifications. I need to get out. And that's where the Pharisees, that's where they want to start the conversation, right? Let's talk about what my options for getting out are. Jesus won't do that. He says, you guys are in Deuteronomy. You haven't gone back far enough. We got to go all the way back. And he brings the issue back to the beginning, back to the original blueprint, back to the book of Genesis, the first book, and he says, let's start the conversation there. Before we start talking about the exceptions, before we start talking about the concessions, first let's talk about the original design and the expectations. Genesis says this, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They will no longer be two, but one. See, that's, that's the starting point. It starts, first of all, with recognizing that marriage is not a human invention, right? It's not just some kind of fad that someone came up with and then it kind of caught on, right? This is something that God designed and it's beautiful. It's the supernatural work of joining two lives together as one in a lifelong union. One man, one woman fused together in a lifelong covenant of love. That is the original intention and it's magnificent, And what that means is that marriage is not a life sentence, okay? It is is a setting that God created as a gift so that love and security and companionship could take place so people could feel accepted and intimacy can blossom and grow. And and, and so there's this this thing in, in... in Genesis where it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And that's the beautiful picture of God's original design. Not just physical naked, but completely known. Fully known. No hiding, no secrets. Fully known, and at the same time, fully loved. That's the design. And that may sound idyllic, right? It is It is without doubt not an automatic for any marriage because we don't live in Eden anymore. We all live east of Eden. But make no mistake, it is good. It is good. And if you are married, 
that original intention is your target. Aim at that. Focus on that. Work for that. There's all, ki all kinds of ways to do that. This past weekend, we were supposed to have a Soulmates for Life workshop um, for that very intention to help with this. Um, it got snowed out because we had another weather event on Friday. Um, but what that means is that you have another opportunity. It's going to be the end of April, uh, April 29th to 30th. Um, this is an opportunity to work on this stuff. Later on this month, in just a week and a half or so, we are going to have a, uh, a Valentine's sweetheart dance for couples to come here, have a fantastic night out, eat food. Have, we're bringing in a ballroom dance instructor, and we're going to have ballroom dance lessons. Um, it is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, these are opportunities to, to cultivate and help create, or, or just not create, but to maintain these, these connections. And so I would say take advantage of these. I want to call out specifically the husbands in our congregation. Do not look to your wife and wait for her to take the initiative on this. All right? Be a man, step up. Don't even ask her if she wants to go because you know the answer. Do you want to go to a Valentine's dance where we're going to be ballroom? Of course she does. Sign up and let's go. Um, these are just opportunities because, not because events are important, but because relationships need to be built into. Masterpieces don't restay masterpieces by their own. You can have the best car in the world, right? You can have a Rolls Royce car. If you don't maintain that car, it's going to end up breaking down. It is going to end up with problems. And so you work to maintain. Um, there is no opt-out clause in God's original design. There, there isn't. If you are married, your number one priority is to make sure there is no back door in your marriage. Resolve that for you, divorce isn't even on the table. It's not an option. One way or another, I am in this for life and, and allow that motivation, that commitment to feel the motivation to do the hard work because it's hard work. Right, to do whatever it takes to, to deal with issues and, and to iron out differences and to stay on the same page and, and to fight for each other instead of with each other and keep on growing and make this relationship grow and last. That is work, and that's what the commitment is all about. That's God's design. They are no longer two, but one. And Jesus he, he tells us exactly where he weighs in on this controversy. It says, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's, that's where he comes down. Don't tear apart what God has joined together. That's, that's the standard. See, there's simply no way to separate the marriage bond without it doing damage significant amounts of damage. Because God doesn't use Velcro when he makes two out of one, right? Um, it's kind of more like conjoined twins, right? You know, you've seen the pictures of the conjoined twins that come out and their bodies are fused together. That's, 
That's a little bit more like what happens on a spiritual level, on a soul level, through the marriage bond. Can the separation happen? Yes. But make no mistake, it's dangerous, it's intensive, and the effects of that separation, are, they're, they're going to be there. They're permanent on so many levels. There's a secular book that's called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. Uh, it, it's studied the effects of divorce on children from 131 families over the course of 25 years. And what they found is that the legacy is quite sobering. Contention between parents, custody disputes, remarriage issues with blended families, who's going where, what weekend, children getting used as pawns, ongoing conflict, financial stress, Children working through fear and insecurity of not being able to trust because of what they've grown up in. Uh, this is a little snapshot of the legacy of, of divorce. Uh, now, now, we know that God is the Redeemer, right? Um, we know that he gives us a, a faith family, the church, to connect to and, and to be a safe place to work through issues. And, and we can find healing for the challenges, whatever they mean that, that, that we work through in life. And, and we trust that in all things, God works for the good of those who love them. And, and that applies to every person in every situation. And I have found personally some of the most resilient people I've ever met have emerged out of very difficult family situations. And they've come out, and they're some of the most amazing people I know. We thank God for that. But at the same time, we do not minimize the reality that there is some serious damage that is an outcome of situations and that's why in Malachi 2, 16, God says, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. He doesn't say that he hates divorced people. He says, I hate divorce. And you know what? Most of the people that I know for whom divorce has been a part of their story, they say the same thing. They hate it. There's, there's just not a lot about it that's there to love. It's just a destructive uh, thing. And so that's, that's the original intentions. Uh, that is laying the groundwork, looking at God's original design, glorifying that seeing just how beautiful and magnificent it is. That's the starting point. So now that we've done that, let's take a next step and let's talk about hard realities. Uh, because we are all broken people living in a broken world. That is every one of our destinations, right? That is all of our coordinates. Whether you're married or not, we are every one of us sinful, broken down people living in a sinful, broken down world. And that reality does infect every area of life, including marriages. Not just some marriages, it infects every marriage. And there are times when the marriage bond breaks down. That's, that's just a reality. Jesus recognized that. He says it's because of the hardness of people's hearts that there is provision for divorce. There are times when divorce is a viable and legitimate scriptural option. Now, it's never required it's, it's never inevitable, but under circumstances, it is an option. 
And that means that even though sin is always the root cause behind every divorce, not every divorce is sinful. Okay? Now, now let's just try to wrap our heads around this for a moment because here's my concern is that Christians, churches, we have just, we want to make marriage such an important thing that we don't ever even want to go to places like this. Um, but we need to because this is real life. So, so think about this. Do you know that the Lord described himself as a divorcee? He, he did. Israel at a time in the Old Testament was just wrapped up in idolatry. They had been unfaithful to the Lord for so long. And so in Jeremiah 3, he says this, and before I read it, I do need to just warn you, it's some strong language, okay? So, so just prepare yourself. It says, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. She saw for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Does that shock you? It's there, it's in the Bible. Do you, do you remember Joseph and the Christmas story? You remember when he found out that Mary was pregnant? And at that time, the only thing he knew was that he wasn't the father, right? He didn't have the whole thing laid out for him. And it says, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. See, in that moment, it was a respectable response to what appeared to be a very regrettable situation. So we start with intentions, but we do need to deal with the exceptions. Um, in Matthew's gospel, um, he, he also covers this teaching of Jesus, but there's a qualifier in Matthew's account that's not here in Mark's. Um, it goes in line with the scriptures we just read. In Matthew 5.32, he says this, if anyone divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality, it makes her commit adultery. See, there's a clear biblical exception. Um, as a matter of fact, most commentators say the reason why Mark didn't include it in his account is because it was already assumed. It was assumed knowledge for those that he was writing to, that this was a clear exception. The exception is... Marital unfaithfulness. Uh, the, the Greek word is pornea, uh, from where the, the word pornography comes from, and it, makes, it means sexual infidelity. It's referring to a lifestyle of habitual sexual immorality manifested through extramarital sexual activity. That is something that's so destructive that it actually ruptures that one flesh union, that union that God created that covenant gets blown up and destroyed. So in this case, divorce would not so much be a matter of walking out the back door. It's more a matter of recognizing that that door, the whole wall, in fact, has already been blown apart. The union's been broken. And once that has happened, that person has biblical grounds to move towards divorce with the approval of God. And I just want to say, 
I chose that word, I thought about this a lot this week, and I used that word approval of God intentionally. There's no disclaimers attached to it. It's not just second place prize. This, this, there's nothing diminished in that. Um, now, I will tell you, pastorally, uh, my heart is always to pray for and to work with people who are in these situations to see genuine repentance, to see forgiveness, and hope that the door to reconciliation opens. And you know what? It's happened. I've seen it. Praise God. Those are amazing situations. Sometimes it does. Uh, other times it doesn't. But the Bible's clear. In, in the wake of adultery, the offended spouse is free to go. Let me say it another way. God has designed the bond of marriage to be so strong so secure that if a couple is willing to work at it, if they are willing to fight for each other instead of fighting with each other, here's the good news. That marriage has the capacity to withstand and weather just about anything. It's nearly invincible. That means your marriage can endure a job loss. It can withstand bankruptcy. It can endure through sickness, mental collapse, disappointment, all of the unpredictable and tragic things that happen because a whole lot can happen throughout the course of life, right? So I, people say, yeah, I want to divorce my wife. Why? Well, she's not the same person she was when I married her. She's not, really. You mean she's not, she, she's not the same person? Welcome to the world, right? We are living people. We change we do. We grow. Hopefully, it's for the good. But if you are still the same person you were 20 years ago, there's a good chance that you're dead or you're just not engaged. That's just a part of life. But there is one thing. There is a kryptonite that is so destructive that it has the potential to destroy this thing. Keep that in mind. Prepare appropriately. Some of you had heard me use this illustration in the past. Double park your marriage. Double park it. And you know what that means. When you go to the mall, when people used to go to the mall, I don't know if they still go to the mall anymore. They just go on Amazon. But uh, in Christmas season, you go to the mall and you're just looking for that parking space and then you're spending 20 minutes trying to find it. But then you see this one car, it's like the Corvette. And he hasn't taken up one parking space darn guy took up two parking spaces. That one could have been yours. But you know why he did that? He knew that he has something that he has invested in himself that's, that's worth protecting. So do you, if you're married. Double park your marriage. Stop if you're the person who's saying, nothing wrong with that. What's the matter? Let me see how close I can get to that boundary line of what's appropriate What's in bounds and what's out of bounds? Double park your marriage. There's a second exception as well that goes beyond the scope of what this conversation is, is about in Mark. Um, it's found in 1 Corinthians 7, 
Um, and this instruction applies to when a Christian is married to, to a non-Christian. And, and Paul writes this, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. The believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So, so Paul was writing this to those who had come to faith in Christ in the course of their marriage. They're Christians, but their spouses isn't. And so the question is, what do I do? All right, and, and Paul's first response is, you stay married. The marriage bond is not going to evaporate because you came to Christ. It remains intact. And he says, your first ministry is to your spouse. Love your spouse. Show your spouse the difference that Christ has made in your life. And let that just pave the way for them to come to faith on their own. Just love them. Love Jesus, and if they're all right with that, then just keep on going. But he also says, if that spouse decides they don't like this, this Jesus thing that's going on in your life, and, and they decide, no, I'm, I'm not up for this, then it says, the believing husband or wife is not bound. In other words, don't initiate anything, but if your spouse walks away, then let it happen. This is what's called uh, the exception for abandonment. And so, uh, and so you have the adultery exception, the abandonment exception. That's generally, those are the two traditionally held biblical grounds for divorce. But I do want to talk about one more um, that often gets overlooked. It's found in Exodus chapter 21. And I need to just set the stage for this passage because it's a little bit strange. It's, it's completely foreign to our understandings because the setting is that of a slave marriage. Um, not slave trade that we kind of think of here, you know, the um, kind of the blight of, 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 of our American culture. But, uh, but this was a matter of when families got into debt, um, you know, they didn't have Visa, MasterCard to just kind of just, just pay the interest on your debts and you'll be okay. No, they actually took it really seriously. And so when they went in debt, they had to, they had to pay off their debt through becoming indentured servants to the one that they owed the debt to. And what that turned into at times was selling their children uh, into slavery. Terrible situation. Um, this passage, though, is to put limits on even those kinds of situations, to, to set limits to those who are the masters and to give rights to those who are in the indentured servant position. And so, and so it says this, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since she has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment for money. Okay, so it's an extreme case that's hard for us even to fathom but there's an exception articulated, even in this. And the exception is for what I would call humiliating neglect and abuse. 
someone's married, even in the most extreme case, and that spouse refuses just to provide basics like food and clothing and care, says she's free to go. She's released to go out for nothing. You see, care is at the very core of what the marriage covenant is all about. So much so that it's articulated in the marriage vows, isn't it? Right? There's a pledge to love, to care, to comfort, to honor and protect. That's a responsibility that spouses have to each other. And that means it is never okay to use marriage to abuse others, to be present in ways that are harmful and destructive. That sanctuary that marriage is meant to be is never a setting for any kind of abuse, whether it be emotional, physical, or psychological. There's no place for that. Now, now I'm not talking about a bad day. This is, this is about an ongoing pattern of behavior. And, and let me be crystal clear about this. Those are realities that are not to be tolerated in marriage for any reason. If someone is in an abuse situation, the first priority is always to get that person to safety. It's more important than protecting the marriage. It doesn't mean that the next step is going to be divorce, but at the very least, it's very likely to involve a a period of separation, to give time to work towards repentance, to see some kind of measured progress before any kind of relationship restart could even be in the conversation. There's an unavoidable reality that is getting dealt with throughout Scripture. That unavoidable reality is that sin always makes a mess. And so as we understand the whys behind the what, it's understanding that this relationship is worth protecting because when it's not, the effects are bad and it makes a mess. And you know, the marriage context is not exempt from the mess. It's not exempt because you're a Christian. Just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that your marriage is going to be exempt from that mess. Over 25 years of of ministry, um, Diane and I, we've had both the opportunity to work on our marriage and and, and work through challenging issues, but we've also had the chance to come alongside others, uh, jump into a lot of messy situations, and try to help One word of advice that I would give is if you are someone and you know your marriage needs help, seek outside assistance early. Uh, Don't keep your struggles a secret. Don't wait until you are at that point where you are just ready to run and then go seek help. Um, Work on it early. Deal with the issues. Get the support now and not later. And I've got too many examples, but I, I think of one night that we spent in our dining room table with a, um, with a wife who just decided that she was done being married. And we pled with her with tears in our eyes. We offered to have her live with us for the time being so that things could kind of just cool off. Um, she was married to a, a close friend of ours. And at the end of the day, she said, 
thank you, I appreciate your care and concern, but I'm, I'm going, this is it. She wanted it to be over. And, and it, was, it was messy. It's a reminder that marriage takes two, right? It only works if both parties are on board. So, so let, me, let me say this as we close. Uh, no matter how this message hits you, no matter what has gone on in, t- in your life up to this point, there's hope. That's the whole point of this. The purpose is never to condemn. It's maybe to convict. It may be to comfort. I'm sure it is to challenge, but it is never to condemn because Jesus is writing stories of amazing grace in people's lives. And the reality is all of us qualify that because we all need that grace. It reminds me of another episode when the Pharisees brought another marriage issue before Jesus. They brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to him and they said, what do we do with him? What do you say? Same situation. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about the issue. They were just looking for putting Jesus into a no-win situation. And, And Jesus says to them, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. And he says to her, go and sin no more. Those are, those are beautiful words. They're words of hope that apply to the most broken situation that we can go through. See, whatever it is, uh, the sin, the divorce, it doesn't have to be the divining chapter in anyone's life no matter what the broken situation is that you're dealing with, that situation does not have to be the defining chapter in any of our stories. Because of the cross, grace is the defining story. Jesus is the defining chapter in our lives. And that means the hope of redemption remains. We already saw that the Lord identified as a divorcee, but the rest of the story is, you know what else? He, he called back the faithless nation he had sent away. He, he recommitted himself to his people, just like the father who killed the fattened calf when his prodigal son came home. There's hope to hold on to for every situation and every life. The limiting factor that we see in this passage is, is what? It's hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. And what that means is that there's no telling what can happen when hardened hearts turn to softened hearts. When we surrender ourselves to the work of God and let him lead our lives, lead our marriages, do the immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine than we could ever fathom doing in our own strength and power. Let's pray together. Lord,